0: Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real and honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and today I'm excited to be joined by Charlie. Well, hello, friends. Adriana. Hola. And Jamie, hey there. Now, Jamie and Adriana, we are very excited to have you both here. But you, you, you both are new to the podcast. This is your first time, and uh, we usually don't have two new guests on an episode at the same time. But you got you two are a little bit unique because you have the same last name. Because we're
1: brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just got weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or, or husband and wife is what I was led to believe. Yes. we. <laughs> Adriana, you're doing great. This yes. is nailing it. it. This is great. And we're excited to have you two on the podcast. Uh, now, you both work at Orange Here Now, which is where all of us around the table here work. But before you were here, we're excited because you two actually led a youth ministry together, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for about 10 years, we were youth pastors right outside of Atlanta in a town called Ackworth. And so, um, yeah, we gave those kids
0: our hearts and they still have them. I mean, those are our, our, our kids in so many ways. So. And I want to dive into that here in a second, but I did want to say, Hey, today on rethinking youth ministry, we're talking about supporting lower income students and families in your youth ministry. Now Obviously, there's economic diversity in any country, you know, all over the world, right? And there are low-income areas, middle-income, high-income areas, and I love that we're talking about this today because even if you're in like a middle or higher-income area, we all still have lower-income students and families in our communities, wherever you are. And if our hope and our goal and our aim is to serve and connect with every student, we have to consider the unique ways we can support those lower income students and families, right, Charlie?
3: Absolutely, I also think that being self-aware of those students and families in your community are really important. I was a mom, a single mom, and I used the, I call it the free cheese papers, the free cheese stamps, and would get wick and the free juice and all the things mm-hmm. um, just to feed my kid, right? And there's a level of embarrassment, I think, to that. So mm-hmm. as a youth pastor, I feel like I was hyper-aware of those kids in my ministry needing more than a scholarship to summer camp.
0: So you you care about lower we all care about lower income Absolutely, students and families. Yeah. But you you are became more aware of that because that was partly that's your part of story. my story
3: yeah as a single mom and using government support to help me and my daughter and to kind of supplement my income it's not something that you're always proud of but you would rather feed your child right than worry mm. about embarrassment Total. and so it's a humbling thing but i also think about those moms in my ministry that weren't really worried about beach camp but we're more worried mm-hmm. about the monday through friday right like yeah. how do i get a meal on the table and so I try to be very conscious of that.
0: And I want to, so I want to dive into that, but before I do, I want to hear Adriana and Jamie, your story and why this became, you know, part of the community of kids that, and students that you, you two serve together. So tell us, just give us a little background. Tell us about your story and your experience in youth ministry and serving lower income students and families.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I became a youth pastor when I was 19 years old and, um, a few years into that, Adriana and I were married and, um, so the whole stint of this youth ministry was about 10 years there at this church, and so much of it began with us, and we were in a low-income area to begin with, so all of the kids in our ministry were, were basically um, from low-income families and government housing and things like that. Um, and so it began with driving the bus around and going into these lower-income areas and picking up kids. I mean, honestly, it, was just, um, it sounds strange for maybe a, a church in a more affluent area, but you really are going in and saying hey we're from the church down the street and we have this vacation bible school going on or whatever the case was and then every single sunday you're picking up these kids and a lot of times it's the parents just being like hey you're taking our kids somewhere and get them out of the house go for it you know and so a lot of our kids came in through that
1: i think too like um i recall yeah because we were dating when he first started and and i just kind of tagged along just because you know i didn't have anything else better to do on my wednesdays and at that point, we had a real. and we've always had kind of a smaller group, but we had a group of kids that really didn't, in our from our eyes, reflect the uh, makeup of our community. It was, you know, just not like not in any kind of particular way, but it was just we had, um, you know, like pretty well put together kids at that point. And we're like, we know Ackworth. We know that a lot of the kids out here don't come from well put together homes. We didn't come from well put together homes. We're both a product of like really bad um broken homes and mm. I was a WIC baby too so like I know all about the government mm. cheese and I'm sure you probably <laughs> was too single mom single dad and so I recall like really early on Jamie just saying like I'm gonna, I want to I want to pray that God sends us the kids that look like the kids that are are in our community mm. um, cuz those are the kids that I feel like we would have the most impact with because those are the kids mm. that we were you know and within like I I don't even know like a snap of a finger the whole youth group, like, was flipped upside down. And we had, like, we did not have a single family with a dad in the picture out of our mm-hmm. entire group. And I really feel like it was a function of just, like, us being like, you know what, our experiences, I think, are better lent towards kids that come from a certain kind of background. And so we're just going to pray that God sends us those kids. And then he did, and we're like, maybe you can send us some less of these <laughs> because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we don't know what to do with them. So, yeah.
0: So you you two developed a heart for this, partly because, Adriana, you just said you both kind of mm-hmm. came from some of those mm-hmm. situations. But, Jamie, when you got into youth ministry, it wasn't necessarily a group of lower-income students. It kind of transitioned. Yeah, we had three students in our
2: youth ministry, and um, they were middle-class, white you know, kind of the, mm-hmm. the makeup of whoever was bringing them to church. You know, and when we looked at our neighborhoods, we saw that most of it was not white, and most of it was not middle class. Most of it was, in the, the few miles, you know, um, radius of the church, that it was um, a lot, uh, a lot more diverse. First off, and then a lot lower income. And so, yeah, exactly. what She said, "I literally just prayed and I said, Lord." here's the kids I know that go to this high school. Here's mm-hmm. the kids that I know that are in these neighborhoods. Send me those kids. And, and so we just
1: graduated from that high school. <laughs> yeah, so we knew like yeah. what was the makeup and of so the area.
2: we went, we went completely in the opposite direction. Like she said, we had, you know, we probably had about 20 or 30 on a regular week and um, all of them, hundred percent of them um, for a long time were very rough, low income, you know, not no parents in the home kind of situation. And, uh, and it was extremely difficult but these kids, I mean, we stuck with them for 10 years really and still have a mentorship with them today. And so wow. they, uh, they're all incredible, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tough thing. You know, when, when kids come from any situation, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, these kids, I mean, I quit like on a weekly basis. I mean, I was going out like
1: <laughs> they had never we, learned. We were volunteer. Well, that's probably Yeah, we, yeah, we, we were volunteers, We weren't getting paid. It yeah. was volunteer. The
2: church couldn't afford to pay any, any staff besides the pastor. And so that's kind of the church that we were part of. And, um. And it's so funny because you forget what comes along with low income. Hmm. And in some ways, it's it's like you said earlier, Charlie, that we can give a kid a scholarship to an event, but we forget why the kid's in that situation in the first place. Right. And you, you don't get a, a child that's in a low income situation without a drug situation or a broken home or a parent who's not there or you know a mom who you know is having men into her house or any of these kind of really rough situations and we saw all of that and we had a a number of students who we had one of our families that we're still super close to is a family of six the it's a single mom the second oldest child has cerebral palsy and is confined to a wheelchair and the dad is who knows where you know um, we'll we'll call them once every six months and kind of do something and uh, send them money or something like that, and you realize really quickly that it's not a money issue it is a
0: right. holistic problem so you, so jamie you're saying it's a holistic problem, like you said, Charlie mentioned the scholarship thing. I think though the temptation for a lot of youth leaders is to start and stop right there though mm-hmm. is that it, it is a money problem. the word income is in lower income families, right, so we kind of assume that that's where the problem starts and stops. And if I'm being honest, as a small group leader myself, I think that's what I'm tempted to think every now and then. Like I view my own group of students as either average students or even in the lower income ones, the only, the problem they have is they can't afford to go to camp. And that's kind of where that problem ends.
3: But I think that it's more than I can't go to camp. I think if there's, I can't go to camp should be that open to a conversation about like what's going on in your home. Like what are the things, and I and I know that y'all are talking about students, um, Jamie. That camp's probably not even on the radar, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Those aren't those aren't those kids. But I think in most youth groups, we kind of know the kid that can't afford to go to camp, right? So we already kind of have that thinking going on. But are we taking the next steps in that relationship with that family? Because it has to be more about yeah. than writing a check or a scholarship for camp. How are we pastoring to that family? Whether it's just dropping off a bag of groceries, you know, spending time with the whole family a little bit, getting to know what their situation is, and then how do you minister to them? I, I think sometimes we have to look beyond the what's right in front of us right. to get to the root of the problem.
0: So, Charlie, I'm going to push back on that because you said sometimes it's easy that you kind of know which student can't afford to go to camp. But as I was prepping for this podcast, I found a stat that says 41%, 4 out of 10 students or kids or teenagers that live in the United States don't have all of their basic needs met. Meaning that maybe they're not below the federal poverty line because mm-hmm. that is a different kind of stat. But right. like, if we just look at basic week-to-week needs... of students aren't having all of their basic needs met in the United States. And I do not think that most youth pastors would look at their ministries and say, four out of the 10 that I have here today are coming from financial struggles.
3: Well, I think it's important why we have small group leaders too, because as a youth pastor, you may not be dialed into every student in your youth ministry, but gosh, I sure hope our small group leaders are a little bit more in tune to maybe that four out of 10 number, right?
0: Totally, totally. So, but I guess what I'm getting at is how, what does it look like to get past some of those mm. almost stereotypes, yeah. I guess. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, it totally makes sense. What does that look like for us? I mean, I think if you were in Jamie's church, it probably looks a little different, right? Because all the students were below the poverty line, right? Yeah. In my youth group, I think the four out of 10 was probably the real average, right?
0: So then, so if we're not careful... What assumptions can we be tempted to make about the students we lead and what they have or they don't have or don't have access to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that one big part of
0: teaching or
2: mentoring or discipling, whatever you want to call it, is... Contextualization, right? If you're um, a missionary overseas, or if you're working with, you know, um, prison inmates, or working with kids, whatever the situation, you always have to contextualize. And part of that means checking yourself and understanding what you understand about the world and about the about God and everything else, and putting it into a a, a box that someone else can understand. And I think if we check out from the uh, mandate to contextualize every single time that we, we get in front of these these kids, um, we do them a great disservice because we forget that they may not understand the same thing that, mm-hmm. that we understood growing up. And I think even about simple things, um, like uh, referring to whenever your parents are talking to you about dating, do you ever get it this way and you're like, a lot of kids, their parents don't talk to them about dating because they're checked right. out. Whenever you're on vacation, does it feel like this? And you're like, some kids have never had a vacation, and that's very common in our experience. You know, Adriana and I both grew up in households where vacation meant, you know, going to mom's house in another state. <laughs> you know, like that was the case. And and I think there's a lot of assumptions that come come with it. We were even joking about saying things like um, whenever you're out there on the lacrosse field and you're like in a lot of areas, they don't have lacrosse. And so <laughs> saying something like right. when you're playing football or soccer or, or baseball, something as simple as that, just helping learn to contextualize things to say I'm not going to be uh, unaware of maybe the struggle or the circumstance from which another kid comes. So.
1: Yeah, I think the tension sometimes is that if you're in a group where you're, you know, as far as finances or however you want to paint this issue is like, it's spread out. And I got, I got a good mix. I got people on the low end. I got people on the high end. I got people in the middle. And what do I do when I'm I'm constantly having to contextualize and lean into those tensions? But like, I'm trying to figure out a way to speak to all, you know, all the humans that are listening (laughs) to me right now. But I think what you were saying is true. Like there is a way, like, it's not necessarily that, The answer is always lean towards making sure that your lower income students, you know, are like, you're always speaking to them. Make sure you're always speaking to them. Be always speaking to that one. Sometimes it's just like the pendulum has to swing at some point and you have to be willing to find a middle ground that can, that you're speaking everybody's language, you know? And we were, you know, laughing about just talking through all this kind of stuff today. And like the lacrosse thing is a silly example, but like, you know, he was, he said to me, he's like, you grew up in the Bronx. Everyone would have known baseball, you know, like little things like that. Like you're, you're not singling out the kids that are on the higher end of the spectrum by just making tiny little decisions that say like, Hey, I see all of you guys. Like Mm. I, I recognize you, I see you all. And I think Charlie makes a really great point. That's where you have to really lean into small group leaders. We didn't have small group leaders. Like we just, it was just us. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but like our experience was that we were the youth pastors. We also drove them and we fed them. We tutored them on the weekends. Like we also led worship once a mm-hmm. month. We like, we had to do all like, let worship. Like, yeah, mow the yeah. lawn. Like, we did all the worship every Wednesday. We also <laughs> yeah. had to lead like main stage worship once. It was just like a hot mess. So like we were really able to lean in because we had like so much access to the kids. And like, because they didn't have anything else going on, there was no other programming in their life. They just had nothing. You could be like, Hey, we're just going to like paint the walls of the church. They'd be like, we'll be there, please. You know, like they just didn't have anywhere else to go. So we had the benefit of, we knew who our kids were, but that's not everybody's experience. And that's where, you know, if you have other volunteers, like that's so necessary, like to know, know your people, like, You're not going to be able to to do any of this. You can't do any kid, any sort of service, wherever they fall on that spectrum, if you don't know who they are. And, you know, I'm sure in your bigger churches, even your smaller churches, it's not like, it's not feasible for one person to be able to know absolutely everything about every single kid, you Mm -hmm.
0: know? So if you don't, if you're not a a youth leader who's already sensitive to uh, this issue, like the three of you are, what, what assumptions do we tend to make or what ways might we be unintentionally offending or diminishing kids Mm -hmm. who come from lower income situations? Yeah, I think there's a book by um, a
2: guy named Rafe Esquith, who is a world-class teacher out of um, Los Angeles County. And um, he's just, famous around the world for the kind of work that he does with his kids. But he has a book called There Are No Shortcuts. And I read it when we were youth pastors, and it really like transformed my understanding of youth ministry. Because even though he was talking about public education, this idea that we can industrialize or mechanize or whatever the word for it is, uh, ministry is a, is a false assumption. And maybe it's part of the, the American understanding of put something into a system and let it come out the other end. And uh, what I mean by that is that if you think that you can take each student in your few or your whole ministry and put them through a certain set step of principles program, and teach yeah. them this and give them this book, they'll come out some way is is really um, a false a false assumption. And the assumption is that we know what our kids need. And I think that so much of what we learned about youth ministry was that Every single kid had to be like you had to get in the mud with them. You had to yeah. really get into their mess, and it was inconvenient. I tell I tell students all the time when they talk about getting into youth ministry, oh. discipleship's very inconvenient. It is not a convenient thing. I'm sure the listeners know that as well. It's a very inconvenient job, but getting into someone else's life is is inconvenient. And I think that just um, assuming that you know anything about uh, a kid. On the surface is a false assumption that you always have to dig in deeper, you always have to put in more time. you always have to you know make that extra call or put in that little effort when you're totally worn out and you want to quit and you already did quit but <laughs> it's the new week and you're gonna try again. and I think the false assumption that you can you can just look at a kid and go, I, I think I know what they need instead of yeah. getting into the mess with them I think right. it, it, well I
1: think even if you like you know this is not a real world scenario, but like you know day one is a youth pastor and I'm given I'm given a sheet by my, you know, head pastor that has every single kid and like what the financial breakdown of their family is, where they live, like all those different things. And, you know, if they if someone had handed us that piece of paper it would have been like 100% of your kids are poor, which is great because, you know, 10 years ago you were also poor. So like, great, this should be just the synergy is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because like just because you know you know, a general set of statistics about a kid does not mean like, there's still like this necessary, like I'm going to have to like pry you open and get into your life because what, you know, what lower income looks like on one kid is not the same with right. the next kid. And where one kid, um, so what,
0: what do you mean by that? I'm sorry. I'm cutting you no, off.
1: No, Go ahead. Cut me off siege. <laughs> um, well, like, so in our situation, like it, it, it's all systemic and which is why we say like, it's not necessary to like there, there were times where it would have been a really easy fix just to be like, you can't go to camp, well, let me just pay for you to go to camp, you know? But that's not that's not always the issue. The issue is not always a money thing. So there therefore the fix of it is not always a money thing. And it mm, was really like, there were some instances where like, you know, Our kids wanted to go to a forward conference, so sure, like, you can't pay for it. Well, the church has no, like, we don't have any money, money, so we'll pay for it too, I guess. I don't know. I don't don't know what we're doing here. (laughs) Um, But there were other instances where it was a better fix to say, like, I can't pay for you right now, but we got to figure something else out. Like, having enough discernment to be able to look at a situation and see it, like, big picture means that it's not, like, it's not always a money thing, you know? And what what works for one kid is not going to work for the next because this kid is, is... lower income because his parents are just trying the best that he can, they can and, you know, just hard times keep stacking up. This kid is lower income because both his mom and dad left and he's being raised by his auntie who like, you know, can barely mm. make ends yeah. meet. This one's lower income because, you know, it's just like, so the, the patch is not the same for every kid, you know? Um, so I think one of our assumptions is that poverty or lower income looks the same on every kid, just the same way that a um, middle-class income looks the same on every kid or a higher class income looks the same mm-hmm. on every kid. Like if you think about it like a, like a backpack, they've all got their backpacks and, you know, everyone's backpacks are he- heavy in different ways and you don't know what, what crap they've got inside of them, but like they all have one. And so it's yeah. just up to you to figure out like, oh, this is a unique set of things inside of your backpack, but it's like up to you to figure that out. Well, I think that's
3: important though as youth pastors then to have resources and to know what the resources are in your area. And then how do you resource families? Because as a church, you may not be able to do anything but write a check for a scholarship. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're in student ministry, you need to have that drawer full of resources. Where can I put a family who is living with an aunt and there's no parents in the picture? Where can I point a family who can't pay their rent or their electric bill this month? It's just important to, to resource yourself right. as a leader so that you can equip families and help them in need. Right.
0: Wow. So practically speaking, what does it look like to, because we've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there, uh, Jamie, you mentioned a little bit of messaging stuff mm-hmm. earlier, Charlie, mm-hmm. you're mentioning kind of some resources we need to start thinking through, but what does it look like to begin orienting, not just your messaging or resources, but your programming, your events all of that kind of stuff to make sure you're including and and catering and serving lower income students and families.
3: I love what Adriana said about how if you just come over, we're gonna paint a hallway and all the kids would show up. They just wanna be a part of something because mm-hmm. maybe their home isn't the best place to be. Mm-hmm. And in my ministry, I would just offer free fun events on Friday nights. And it was just a welcoming place for you to come. And we would do all the things, like really weird things that didn't really <laughs> cost <laughs> right. money. Um, but it was just a place for them to be and to be safe. A lot of parents work the weekend, So it was also a ministry to uh-huh. the parents, yeah. right? Um, I want to be more than just a youth pastor for the student. And so it provided, I hate to say childcare because people always think that's so negative in student ministry, but what's wrong with providing a safe place for a student when a parent has to work. Mm. So call it whatever you want to call it. We called it sold out Friday nights. So whatever your church is calling it is still a ministry to the family.
0: Wow. That's, that's really great.
2: Absolutely. And I think that um, perfect to that point is the idea of be creative about it. And I think, as ministers or as small group leaders or whatever the label that you're using, you have a responsibility to these students and these kids. And, and the idea of saying, um, we, you know, Adriana mentioned the tutoring sessions. We had a bunch of kids whose parents had never, no one in their family had ever gotten out of college. And you have middle school and high school kids who don't know where their future's headed. And I'm like, hey, I'm not real great at math, but we're going to come here on a Saturday <laughs> morning. And we, we did this every Saturday morning for a number of years and get cereal because, again, we were making minimum wage, like hardly making it, you know, ourselves. And so we would get cereal and milk and just show up. And we were like young, don't know what we're doing. But really we know that it, it's no, it's better than what their their situation right now. And we'd sit there at the church and help them with their homework, you know. And, and so much of our, our students were um, from families that were not white families. And we would talk to them about, like, Black History Month and that sort of thing and talk to them about uh, their Latino heritage and talk to them about race and, and help them, like, in those moments of, of really just – kind of stepping in in a lot of ways for the parents. And we had students that told us, and trying to get emotional here, but we had students that told us, like, y'all were parents to us because Mm. we had to step in in a way that maybe a typical youth ministry didn't have to. You know, and and when we say typical, but you you know that uh, when you have to show up to PTA meetings, for instance, or you have to show up to the kid's house uh, to—we had a student who she kind of alluded to that was living with an aunt— uh, because both of the, the the mom and dad had left, and was adopted by the aunt, and she's like, I don't know how to deal with this kid. Like he's he's not paying attention to school. He's not doing this, and we're we're sitting down on the couch talking to her about how to like manage through their relationship in their house. And so and we're she like
1: twenty years old. <laughs> like we, don't
2: <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, you know. And um, but but just getting imagine a creative about what what that ministry looks like, where it's not just here's what the book says
0: about how to do small group. It, right. it has to go beyond that. I think that's great. I think it creates. It just creates another category for programming and events that's totally outside that this is what we do on Wednesday and Sunday mm-hmm. and these are the two paid events we do in the spring and in the fall right and this is our calendar. you know what I mean mm-hmm. It's like okay, it really is taking into account every student in your ministry and figuring out what's the what's the event that would serve them best, not what's the event that you know is going to serve all of my you know what I mean Does that make sense, Charlie Well
3: and I, I love what you said because I coach youth pastors for a living now, and I hear all the time, well, I want to I partner with the community. I want to partner with the schools. I, I want to do all these things. Show up with a box of cereal on a Saturday morning and do some math. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how easy is that? I mean, that's an incredible way to be there for the community, to be there for the families and partner with the schools. Um, I know at my house... My husband is super tech savvy. I am not. I need to go on record with that. And <laughs> no when, shame, girl. No shame. I, I know <laughs> there's a reason why someone was married tech people, right? <laughs> yeah, because we can't work a spreadsheet. Um, but senior year of high school, uh, my daughter was a senior, and she kept coming home and telling us about all these kids that couldn't figure out. How to register for the SAT? They couldn't figure out how to do like their college 411, and they don't even have a computer, and they're trying to do it at the library. And so we just kind of put out there, um, our daughter put it out there. Let's make that really clear. (laughs) Um, She put on an ad on Instagram. Hey, if you want to come to my house, my dad will help you. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great ministry, right? But I think sometimes as youth pastors, we can't get past the Sunday and Wednesday, Mm -hmm. like showing up on Saturday morning with a box of cereal. Bring your computer. If you don't have a computer, just come over, and we're going to help you register for college. FAFSA is hard to
1: fill out, by the way. So oh gosh, yes. If you need some help with that. Just like, huh? don't even bother going to college. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: There's your takeaway this week. That's, uh, you can email Adriana yep. at...
3: <laughs>
1: Hit me with it.
0: Uh.
3: But I think CJ's right, though, too. We have to point youth pastors and, and help each other realize there's so much more than the Sunday and Wednesday programming. Yeah.
1: I think that one of the healthiest ideas that we can grasp is that once you know, once a kid is out of your ministry, doesn't mean that ministry has to stop. You know, and I think what like over all these conversations that we've been having, that the point is that you know, for lower income families, it's just a necessity that if you're wanting to get in the mud of it, you are gonna have like it has to be a, a, a bigger. Like your involvement has to be way more strategic and Mm -hmm. and you really have to lean into like the family. You have to lean into like the day-to-day. I recall, I mean, it's it's a little bit like off topic, but I recall I only ever went on one mission trip because we couldn't afford it. (laughs) (laughs) But I went to India and I recall the leaders of that trip saying, essentially you can't, speak to somebody about, you know, the grace of God until they have a full stomach. Like, there's just mm. certain needs that have to be met before you can say, like, man, Jesus loves you. Isn't he so great? He just wants to be your friend. When, like, the kid is coming on Wednesday night and hasn't had, like, had didn't, you know, mm. have breakfast and won't have dinner unless you got, you got, like, five, you know, $5 pizza down the road. And I think a lot of our experiences taught us that with those kinds of kids, like, it is just a fact that, like, it's almost like you have to tend to, like, Survival mode before you even tend to like the spiritual aspects of it, yeah. like. Can and I are, amen that. Amen. I love <laughs> that. <Yeah>. That <laughs> was so good. I'm amen myself, girl. <laughs> uh, no, um, but like, our you know, we still keep up with our kids. We've been out of youth ministry now for three years, yeah. four years, three years, um, and just this past weekend we hung out twice with. Two, uh, two of our kids that we've been dating with, they've, they've been dating for like a bajillion years. So,
2: Long before we told them they should be dating. And yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and so we've been just like double dating with them for like literally like six years now. Um, and I'm having coffee tonight with another girl. Like it doesn't, and we haven't been the youth pastors for three years, but like their needs are so much bigger than just like, tell me Jesus loves me because like their lives are in shambles, you know? And so there is like, there is an element to... Ministering to lower income kids that it's just a it's just a fact. Like it just is that if you're gonna lean in and and, and hope to be effective at it, then you have to be willing to like, gosh, do you all even know what it means to like, you know, I mean, what's, what's the current, um, no one balances checkbooks anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) how do you manage your money? Um, what are you thinking about college? It might not be an option for you, but like, what are you thinking about that? What, like, like life things, like, how can Mm -hmm. I ensure that once you are graduated and you're out of my, you know, protection that you are going to succeed at just being a human? Because the fact is like, these kids are just, they are at a disadvantage. They just are, you know? And there's just, there has to be like, willingness on our part to arrest all of our assumptions and just like almost start at ground zero. Like I just have to start from day one. I have to start at ground zero and just dismiss everything that I thought I knew because every kid is, every kid's different. They're coming to this with like a a completely different experience and it does require a lot of creativity, but it also requires just like, like if you're going to commit, it almost is like, which can sound scary, but it almost is like you're committing for like, for life. Like we know yeah. like these kids are never going to be absent from us. Like it's just is the way that it is. We've tried to shake them so hard. y'all. <laughs> and there's just no losing Not these sense. suckers. Uh, so, um, you know, but like, that's just what it required. Like, yeah.
0: yeah, I think it's great. And I think it, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, it meeting physical needs before spiritual ones. And what came to mind is obviously we probably all heard like, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Right. Like he would meet mm-hmm. physical needs, physical needs, physical needs. And then after, after he did that then he would lean in spiritually right. and i think it's just it's easy for us as youth leaders though to uh, for a lot of us to jump that because the students who walk through our doors or a lot of them seemingly don't have any of those so we can just go straight to spiritual needs mm-hmm. because they don't have you know empty stomachs or they they do have a plan for you know this school or that school or the parents are doing f- whatever that case may be and i think this is just a really helpful reminder that hey before we get to step two, you might, you, you might have all students who are middle or upper, right. upper income, and that's fine. But before you make that assumption, back it up. Step one, make sure your students are taken care of in some of these ways, because at the end of the day, we're here to serve them however they need to be served, not just in this one particular right. you know, area. So what we're talking about, though, and Adriana, everything you just unpacked, that's a lot. That's a lot you're putting on me as a youth leader.
1: Sure, I guess, whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is. I agree with everything, but you just created a whole new category of things that I need to start thinking about and doing and create for students in my ministry who might come from lower income situations. Thankfully, though, that's where having a small group spaced ministry, I think can really come into play because now instead of a youth leader who's in charge of 50 or 60 trying to figure this out, we can lean into small group leaders with their five or their seven or however many students to to start leaning into their, their few. What does it look like to start training and prepping and equipping your small group leaders to create this category and be sensitive to this group of students who they may be leading and not even realize it?
2: I think something that jumps out to me immediately is this idea of it has to be within the culture of your ministry as a whole. And talking about it, You know, if, whether it's in staff meetings or just when you have the wrap-ups afterwards to say, hey, how did everything go? Or you're calling your small group leaders to say, "You know, um, how's everything going this week? What's going on with them? That it has to be part of the culture is how are you diving in beyond just the conversation that you're having in the church service? Because exactly to her point, I don't think that there is a one size fits all. You know where it's like okay now we're going to have a tutoring session on Saturday for everybody and maybe in some churches that works perfectly and you can do that, um, but there will always be something missed. And I think if you can if you can put it into like the ethos of the whole ministry to say this is how we do small groups. Mm-hmm. It is not just a you you show up and if you're committing we appreciate you committing, but you're also going to be committing to work with these kids yeah. beyond just the scope of this one conversation once a week or whatever it is.
3: Well, I definitely think that's a top down conversation. Yeah. Um, the youth pastor, I, I just think the leadership needs to be preparing. Mm-hmm. Small group leaders to have those conversations and to be aware of the whole ministry. I want to go back to resourcing them too. I really want people to be aware what's in their community and what's available to families. There's so many times I think uh, I've been in the church where someone will show up and they can't pay their light bill or their electricity's been shut off or. Oh my goodness. I remember the kids that haven't had a hot shower in months, but they didn't say anything Mm -hmm. about it until it's already been like two months in. Um, and they tell their, their small group leader, but then the small group leader is frantic because they're calling the youth pastor going, I don't know what to tell him. I don't know what to do. I just think resourcing your small group leaders to know what Is available is really important. So, that could be like a local co op in your area that can provide food. Um, It could be there's assistant programs to pay for utilities. Those are things I think that leaders, every leader in your ministry, needs to be aware of.
0: But some of those things require having relationships with parents or guardians or Mm -hmm. whoever, you know, uh, is, you know, taking care of these kids. So, I guess my next question would be so, what does that look like? Is partnering with parents any different? for families who, who are lower income.
3: I think so. And I don't know if it's because I've been the parent that had the free cheese, right? Right. I also had the, was the person that didn't have a hot shower for months too. But I think what a joy or what a gift it would have been if someone from the church would have known that and would have stepped in because, again, I don't know that we're asking for help, right? But it's that relationship equity that you have with that student for them to say, oh, by the way, haven't had a hot shower in two months. And the small group leader is like, wow. And maybe they just check in with the family. And if maybe somebody mentions it, they can tell them how to be resourced. There's also, like I said, the embarrassment piece to that too. So that's why being in relationship with students is so important. Whether it's a large church and you have all these small group leaders, or it's a small church and there's only two volunteers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we all need to be dialed into what's going on. And then I think part of your ministry is loving the whole family, and that might be showing up at their house. That might be a phone call. It might be awkward. Mm-hmm. I just we need to say that yeah. up front, right? right? Yeah. Like sure. it's it will be awkward. Yeah, it will be. yeah, yeah, it yeah. Will be at times. Yeah, because yeah, sure. ministry is messy, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I don't think we should avoid those conversations because you're afraid that it's going to be weird, right? We still need to step into that space and to help that mom. As a mom, I think I would have just... I just remember um, a church stepping in and paying my gas bill for me one time, and I wasn't—I didn't even really go to that church, and but my kid was there for daycare, right? And they were asking questions and whatever, and they were just like, "Well, we have a program," and I was like, "You do, right?
1: Like <laughs> your girl up okay. there? <laughs> yeah, like, because I think as a parent, you get past the part of being embarrassed. You want to provide for your kid, right? Wow, yeah, that's great. I think that's so um, valuable, though. Um, so we were having conversations about this this morning, kind of in preparation for this, and just thinking through about like we were talking about the shame stuff too. And it is so very valuable to be able to lend your own experiences to those kids because in the same way that you were able to like look at those kids with a certain amount of empathy, like we had very similar experiences. in like our church, like we were, it was a small church, but we did have like a little, um, what was the food, the food, pantry, food pantry kind of yeah. thing. And you can just see it like that, that kind of um, asking for help, even even a kid like asking for help. It is just a shameful, shameful experience. Mm-hmm. And we, it was So great that we both knew what that shame felt like because I was like, girl, I have eaten out of the same food pantry, like this same one, you know? But that's not everybody's experience. Not every small group leader and not every um, youth pastor is coming in saying like, oh, I I also know what it's like to not have like my car repossessed and like we we got kicked out of our house. And so, you know, Jamie, you were saying top down, like talk to your small group leaders and Charlie, you're talking about like, you got to resource the family. But I think too, like there's something to youth pastors and small group leaders creating a culture within like the kids themselves to be able to have compassion towards other kids, you Mm -hmm. know, with our specific situation, it was pretty like, I would say like 95% of our kids were, you know, uh, lower income, but because I don't know, I think just like from day one, because we were so like, we were so at a loss of like how to deal with it ourselves. Like, even though we prayed for it, And then God answered it, which was just so cool of him. But, like, also we just kind of, like, well, I don't know what to do now because he answered these prayers. That from day one, and maybe we kind of went about it in a little bit of a bonkers way, And like, looking back on it. Maybe some of the conversations we had, like, I don't know. I don't know if we went about it correctly, but, like, we just made it such a point to, like... Communicate to the kids like you are all valid in spite of like what you have in your pocket how much like what kind of phone you have where you came from what like whether you're whether you got to go on vacation what like whatever your experiences are you have value and it's, it is up to you as a human being to like learn how to be like you kids you students you have it um, within your power to learn how to be compassionate and you can practice right here because mm-hmm. these are your people um, mm-hmm. and you know within a small group that's that's great too like these are your people. People. and it I think it's up to leadership to be able to like set a precedent within the culture of the kids themselves to be able to say like hey my family um, like by, my parents are still together and we live in a big house and like m- these are my experiences and to be able to look across the aisle at somebody who like has the exact opposite experience and just like and we're still family and to be able to teach that is something that's just like I mean, just immensely valuable. Um, and I don't know it's something that you teach, but I do right. think it comes naturally in your
3: youth ministry. Right. If your ministry is naturally some, it's a ministry that's self-aware
1: mm-hmm. and begins that family concept right. um, where we want to care for one another in our group. Yeah. And it's just like, the, I mean, the truth is too, like I think when you're talking about lower income kids, you're just talking about, and this might not be true for every single kid, but like our experience is experiences were that they are also like by virtue of being lower income and being disadvantaged, they are probably going to be a little bit awkward, like kind of beyond the scope of just like normal, awkward 10th graders. (laughs) Like our kids were weird. They didn't understand like social boundaries. They didn't get like taboos. They didn't get like. They
2: had no one to teach them that. They had no one to teach them these things, you know,
1: so they're coming in. Like we just had um, our group was just like the most motley crew of just like Weirdos, Like, they just were. We, us, we, we, I course. would tell them that to their we're face. Really like, <laughs> yeah. <weirdos. laughs> Let that be said. We yeah. love them. We adored them. But also, <laughs> yeah. they were just all weirdos. But, like, that's just kind of their, they, like, but because we set this precedent of, like, but that's cool, right? Like, we're all cool with it. Then all of a sudden, they were like, oh, yeah, I guess we're cool with it, too. And by the end of it, like, that was just, like, their identity. Like, they just bought so much into this notion of, like... This is our home. We are all weird. We're a bunch of losers. Let's own it. <laughs> and like, you know, yeah, really like, um so when we, yeah. whenever we took our kids to camp, like they just knew like, we're the weird youth group. Cause they, mm. they kind of were in a lot of ways, you know, but like. But when you set a precedent, and the two of us, like, we just made it such a point to like have conversations. Let's talk about what it means to be broke. Let's talk about yeah. what it means to be black. Yeah. Let's talk about what it means to be all these. Like, what, let's talk about um, your parents are immigrants and you don't know if she can get back in the country. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Your dad is in jail. Girl, my dad's also in jail right now. They might even be in the same jail. Like, that was, car- you know, common because, ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like, we can find common ground in spite of the fact that all of our experiences are a hundred percent different. Mm-hmm. And if we can learn to like see each other as people and we've won anyway, you know. Mm. And wow. I think that just like goes beyond the, you know, did they learn the bottom line? I don't know. Like no, I don't they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. Our kids didn't. <laughs> nah. I don't know. Um but they still like they still are in each other's lives. They yeah. still are in our lives. They still like see the value of community and of church and like are their parents involved in the church, most of them know, like still (laughs) 10 years in mom and zap moms and dads are still out of the picture. Um, but the kids found like, like you were saying, Charlie, they found a safe place Mm -hmm. and like, that was invaluable to them beyond just like, they didn't care that they didn't get to go to camp. Like they didn't care at the end of the day, they found a home, you know? Um, and that was a big deal.
2: I think it's so important to kind of reiterate this at the end of all these big, huge, heavy things that we've talked about in our experience. It's totally worth it. and I I don't want it to ever see and when we talk to people about youth ministry we don't ever want it to seem like man this is so much work Mm -hmm. and it's going to suck the life out of you and it is so much work and it will be your life and I think that just to, it's for the long haul and like like she said, she's meeting with one of our girls tonight and um, we, I'm always on the phone with one of the guys that we, we kind of helped raise in a lot of ways. One of them is a youth pastor who uses orange curriculum down in Florida now. Mm. And you know, may or may not listen to this podcast. Mm. <laughs> and uh, one of
1: them is interviewing tonight for a youth pastor position. <laughs> yeah, so so um,
2: and it's so worth it and it takes so much work, but that's what is beautiful about it is that it is just, gosh, I mean, like, the hardest thing we ever had to do was was leave that church and walk away from youth ministry. But we left our hearts with those kids because these Mm -hmm. kids, like we just, they're our kids. When we talk about kids, people are like, oh, you have kids? We're like, yeah, we have like 15, 20, 30. (laughs) And they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. We're we're talking about our students who we like (laughs) were there from the time that they were complete jerks to us every single week and like threw stuff at us and fought us and all this stuff to the point where now they're like grown men and women and like it just blows our mind. And I just, I have to make sure that I like reiterate the fact that I know it sounds super heavy, all of that, but it is so, so, so worth it. So. Yeah.
0: It reminds me of a, I think it's Reggie Joyner who says something like, every kid and every teenager needs a place to belong before they believe. Mm. And I feel like even going back to what you are saying, Adriana, that's what you are talking about. Like, did they get the bottom line? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> but they knew that this was a mm. place for them, a place where they could show up and belong regardless of where they come from or who they are or what they or what their family situation is. And that's the reason why they're still connected to you to today, you know? It's because you gave them a place to belong, not because you gave them a great bottom line. You know, right. even though that's important, we can get yeah. to that. But before you get to that, they need a place to belong. So this has been a phenomenal conversation. Before we get to final thoughts, I just have to say what I know all of our listeners are thinking right now, and it's that you three, Jamie, Charlie, Adriana, are incredible people with amazing hearts. And you that just... You can just feel how much the three of Mm -hmm. you care. And so I just wanted to say that because I know that everybody's thinking that right now.
1: Thank you so so much. Before
0: we wrap up, do you guys have any final thoughts, things you would encourage people to remember as they walk away from this or something to do this week or one way to take a step in the direction of lower-income students and families who may be in their ministries?
3: This might be super random, but I read this on Facebook all the time in all these youth pastor groups, And people are always gifted extra money and they're like, oh, should we buy like a nine square in the air or do like an inflatable night? Can I just challenge y'all to go to your local school and pay off the school lunch tab? That's wow, awesome. That's awesome. Um, so many of my kids didn't get food at school because mm-hmm. their lunch tab was too high, right? And then they come to church and they're still hungry, and you talk about not being able to listen till their belly was full. Y'all, don't buy one more thing. Mm-hmm. Just go to your local school and pay off the lunch tab. That's awesome. That's all I got.
0: That's
2: great. Okay. That's a great step to take.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think one last thought is just... Challenge yourself this week to go one step deeper in the conversation than you're used to. Because as we, as we were saying, one, you don't know that a kid's in this situation. Or two, you know they're in this situation, but maybe you don't know why they're in this situation. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed with all of the students and all of the needs. And I love what um, Andy Stanley says of um, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You mm-hmm, know, and this idea yep. that, like, pick one kid who you think's going through a tough situation and just dive into that. Yeah. I remember um, great. a very quick little story. I was at a youth camp or a youth retreat with a bunch of students and I only had two nights with a bunch of boys and I asked them, where are all the dads at? Because I knew that it was a room full of kids with no dads. And I was like, I don't have time to like build into this where I was like, what's going on? Where are, all, where are all your dads at? And it just like, you would think that would be such an awkward conversation. And the room just like erupted in like tears and, and opening up about things and just normalizing pain real quick. Just yeah. like, hey, we all have terrible backgrounds. Let's get into that real quick. And I think just sometimes we're afraid to take that one extra step. So I'd encourage you to do that this week. That's great.
1: Yeah, that kind of leads into what I was thinking that when you are building a culture among your students where pain is normalized and where experiences wherever they fall on this like wide spectrum are like the the like shame as much as you can is sort of like taken off of it then half of the work is done of figuring out gosh who are the kids in my group that are struggling in this way because if your kids know that it's a safe place, like, you'd be surprised at how forthcoming they will be with you. Like, it's not always a function of you having to, like, dig in, like, I got to figure out where they're living and, and what, what the mom makes and where, you know, all these different things. Like, if the kids know that you are safe, that their small group leaders are safe, that even the kids and the, uh, the other students in the group are safe, then they will be forthcoming with that information because right. I think kids are just so, I mean, that's just a human condition. We're so desperate to connect we're so desperate to be seen, to be validated, that just like give us an inch, we'll take a mile, kind of thing. And so, like, if you set up a culture within your group of like, I love that normalizing pain. That's kind of that's yeah. that's it. You know, like it doesn't matter what your pain looks like, you're in pain, he's in pain, she's in pain, I'm in pain, we're all in pain, and that's okay, and, like, that just makes us human, and, like, let's just try to figure this thing out together, Um, then your kids will come to you, and, and, you know, half the work of just trying to figure out where they're at is done, because once you just, you know... Like, he, like Jamie was saying, if you can just dig in deep, like they will surprise you with how much they have to say about the subject, you know? Um, you will learn way more than you wanted to learn about what's going <laughs> on in their homes. So yeah, so I just think that it's really, really powerful and you're arming them for the rest of their life to be able to succeed at being a person with whatever sorts of disadvantages and advantages you might have to succeed in a world of other people who are different than you, you know? So yeah, I just think you build a culture and built like set them up for success as humans beyond the scope of the youth ministry
0: that's great we'll leave it right there adriana jamie charlie thank you so much for joining us for this Really neat conversation. I know it's I know it's going to be so helpful to so many of our listeners. And thank you for joining us this week for the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, especially if you're new around here. We have conversations just like this every single week. And while you're there, leave us a review. That review will help us get these conversations in front of more youth leaders who need to hear them. And if you want to find out about the book that Jamie mentioned earlier in the episode, the book's called There Are No Shortcuts. You can visit our website website. We'll We'll link to it there. So you can visit rethinkingym.org for that. Until next time, thanks for listening.